Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. In this week's Reset the Podcast, I had a fascinating conversation with Guy Shanshif, MBE, DL, and co-founder and managing director of Bambio Mio. Guy is a fellow entrepreneur who is taking big leaps towards reducing human impact on our environment. More than 20 years ago, Guy and his partner Joe combined their skills to create Bambio Mio, a company that produces reusable nappies, providing parents with a sustainable alternative to disposables. Well, it's been an awful long time since my children were in nappies, but I was still really shocked by some of the stark statistics Guy shared around the devastating environmental impact of disposable nappies. Guy takes us on a fascinating journey, talking through how and why Bambino have stepped in to help create real change to the challenge at hand. Guy shared with me his efforts over the years to make reusable nappies more commercially acceptable and accessible worldwide, and the real skepticism from potential retailers, government, and young parents he worked so hard to overcome. Overcoming the external doubt would not have been possible without the help and strength of his internal team. And we discuss the importance having a workforce who truly believe in and share the values of the company to which they belong. Guy explains how he's built a culture focused on improvement, innovation, and truly making a difference to the world, and why a team working towards a shared goal and common purpose is the key to unlocking their success. I hope you enjoy this week's conversation, and if you do, please hit the subscribe button. It makes a real difference to all of us. Thanks very much. Guy, it's so great to see you today. Um, how are you doing? Good, good. And thanks for having me on. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. So one of the things that I often ask at the beginning, well, at the beginning of this podcast, because we ask at a lot of our training sessions, is a question. And it's uh, on a scale of one to ten, how energised do you feel today? Um, I am probably at an eight or nine this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in the office. Um, we've, we've, we, we, post COVID, we've got, uh, three days a week when sort of everybody's in and Tuesday is one of those days. Uh, we also have our, our chair in today. Um, and so there's lots of meetings taking place and that always is. And, and you feel that a lot is happening because people are around you. That helps you with energy, but lots of questions being asked and, and lots of discussions, which sort of helps those energy levels. Well, that's good. That's a, that's a nice score to have, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, and actually, we'll come on and talk about this a bit about being an entrepreneur, uh, you know, finding that building a business and then the role that you change into and actually how you keep yourself going, I think, as an entrepreneur is, is a real challenge often. Um, but you, Guy and Joe, I think the story was you were traveling through India when you discovered an idea that changed your world and in many ways has changed the world anyway, because you are now the biggest reusable nappy brand in the world. And I think, you know, my children are now 24 and 22. Um, Jasmine was born in Hong Kong. I don't think there were, there might have been reusable nappies, but they were pretty horrid and nobody really used them. So that's a massive change in not that long. Um, but not only, you know, are you kind of changing people's thinking, you're building a business and it, they kind of look really good too. Tell us a little bit about the beginning of the story. So, I mean, I'd always wanted to run my own business and there's loads of sort of little stories for me in childhood as there often are with entrepreneurs about sort of, that was clearly what you were destined to do. Um, I graduated with a, a business studies degree, sort of fell into accountancy for, um, 
a year, a year and a half. That's I often say, I think the worst trainee KPMG ever had. Um, <laughs> and Joe, we weren't married then, but Joe was working for Marks and Spencers and she was made redundant. And um, we decided to travel and we didn't have any commitments at that point. And, um, and I think for me, well, for both of us in some ways, it, it was it, it was that time we, we were away for, for quite a few months and, and we hoped we would pick up some sort of business idea. And what was this business idea? And I'd always felt I wanted to have a business idea that I could uh, I could believe in um, and, and really get behind. And, and as you say, it was within within literally a couple of weeks of, of landing in India, which was the first place we went. We were at the Taj Mahal one evening. We'd gone there because it was the full moon and, and, and one of the times which sort of attracts tourists. And we got speaking to a guy from New York. And, and for some unknown reason, we started talking in his terms about washable diapers and washable diaper services in, um, in New York that had been very big in the 80s. Um, and it did spark an idea for us. And, and the idea kept kept coming up a few weeks later we were we met some Canadians who were talking about the same thing um, got to Australia in in early 92 when there was a um, there was a there was a big big recession um, we, we both sort of picked up jobs to get some money while we stayed in Sydney for a few months I cut the grass for Sydney Council and used to see nappy laundry service vans shooting around the uh, around the city um, and and it really did plant an idea and actually we came back up uh, to the UK in, in mid-92, started a nappy laundry service in those days, sort of delivering clean nappies each week, collecting dirties. Not a particularly scalable business, not probably the, um, what, well, clearly it wasn't what we ended up doing, but for, for four or five years, it gave us fantastic experience of the products because you were meeting customers face-to-face every day. But I think, to come back to your, your original question, you're quite right, in the 90s, everybody was using disposables and there was a general feeling when we said what we were doing that uh, by most people that we were completely mad uh, trying to sell reusable nappies at a time when everybody was using disposables and wasn't that going to be the future but um, pleased to say that over the sort of next 25 years that the world caught up with us and as i said that the the nappy service was our was our start into it but actually that was sort of more of a niche of a niche um, as expensive as using disposables and that's that cost is, of, is often a reason why people use reusables and so in 97 closed the nappy laundry service down um, and Bambino Mio was born and um, still from sort of very humble beginnings we were still working out of our terraced house in the centre of Northampton at that time um, but that was certainly the foundations from which um, from which we've grown and where we are today. Wow that's interesting isn't it you know I think um certainly for me, for each of the businesses that I've started. Um, and, and it happens all the time, doesn't it? You come up with, a, you think an idea, and then everyone sort of begins to talk about it. And I don't know about you, but when I, and particularly with Let's Reset, because I had no desire to start another business at all. Um, I thought I'd done three, plenty. And it sort of bubbled up inside me and pe- people kept talking about it. And I, everyone I'd meet suddenly it became an idea and then I couldn't kind of stop myself really how did you so you know you started from quite humble beginnings um and it began to take off when was there a moment when you went okay this is really gonna work this is actually something bigger than just our you know our kitchen table we need to really scale that's a really interesting question because I think we have always strived for something big something bigger we've always felt that that reusable nappies have a really important part to play and i think as time has gone on more people have have agreed with us as far as that was as far as that's concerned so so actually um we had a mission when we started and and i mean people talk about purpose driven businesses and actually when in the last couple of years where where that has been talked about more there was a real realization for everybody about being Amir that Actually, we've always been a purpose-driven business. It may be that we haven't sort of stated it in those terms, but it was always been about getting more people to use reusable nappies. I mean, our original mission statement to make reusable nappies commercially acceptable worldwide. Commercially acceptable covers so many different things. But certainly when we started, I always talk about what reusable nappies meant in the mid-90s was a pile of old terries collecting dust in the corner of a baby shop. We wanted to change that. And I think in terms of but we've always been incredibly ambitious of where we've wanted to get to so um in terms of working i mean i suppose 
yeah, in the last in the last few years, we 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 were part of the we were listed in the Sunday Times fastest growing businesses. We were top twenty five export fast track. 100 we've won two queens awards um we're in supermarkets and pharmacies globally i think you could probably say it's working yeah but actually i think with our ambition you see the amount of nappies that are used every single day and the reusable nap market is still just scratching the surface um i mean we talk about uh, we had our 25th anniversary uh, celebrations last week and as part of that we we unveiled this counter which showed that we'd We'd prevented over the 25 years, we've prevented two billion nappies going to landfill. Wow. Um, but actually, in the world, we're throwing away 90 billion a year. So over 25 years, we, we, we've had a little bit of an effect, but not a major effect. We can, I can see that change coming. So, um, yes, clearly we are, a, we are a sustainable business that's doing well. But actually, in terms of our ambition, there's still a long, long way to go. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it feels a little bit like, well, you know, a lot of the sustainable conversation, actually, you know, it's vegetarianism, it's um, sustainability. And it's that move from it being a, a nice to have or an also ran to, you know, actually fundamental to our lives and our thinking and our future. And I just wonder, you know, for me, I can see it with other businesses and I had it, I've had it a little bit with Let's Reset at the beginning with people sort of going, so nice that you're trying to save the world, you know, how lovely, but it's not kind of proper, is it? So, you know, for me, it's brilliant hearing those awards. It's brilliant hearing what you're doing, but do you, have you ever been, have you been kind of driven on by not just that sort of purpose, but people actually kind of not taking you seriously and saying, you know, no, this is not just about um, a vision that we've got, but this is about a complete shift in what we need to do for everyone in the world. Yeah, I think, and I think we've seen that because I think if, if you go back 20, 20, 20 years, I mean, 20 years ago, I also, alongside Bambino Mio, I, I sort of launched our trade organization, the Nappy Alliance for Reusable Nappy Brands, got together um, and we decided to do some political activity because we felt that. Nappies is a really interesting one because despite the fact that we throw away more disposable nappies than we do coffee cups or plastic plates or, or, or knives and forks, politicians and, and policymakers find it a quite difficult concept to get their heads around because actually you don't ban it, you don't tax disposables, it's an education process. Um, and actually also they, they don't really relish the idea of telling young parents what they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, with their baby or making them feel feel guilty so we set up the the nappy alliance and certainly in those early days as you as you alluded to um we'd have very nice conversations with ministers and, and ngos and, and mps who would support but very little happened the change in that is quite dramatic and there's a couple of there's more and more examples i see so debates on the environment bill earlier this year uh, uh, late late last year um, environment bill in going through parliament clearly covers a huge area of um, everything from sort of waste to nuclear energy to to all sorts of stuff but actually in a debate i heard 40 speakers four of them alone spoke about um, nappies and the issue around nappies and to see that shift in terms of political conscience and i think to bring it back to the commercial aspect and bambino mio we can see it with the work we do with major retailers. So Germany, which is our big, um, biggest market, we're in uh, most of the big supermarkets. We're in all the big, big pharmacies. And certainly um, these guys don't don't keep your product on shelf or in, in stock if they're not actually um, if there's not commercial reasons for doing it. Um, you're in and out pretty quickly if it doesn't work commercially. So actually those conversations whether they be political or whether they be with um retailers or or whether they be sort of the level of sales and the growth that we've had is um i think a testament to how much the category has moved on and we may we may get i'm sure we'll get onto it a bit later but uh we took um we took investment from um bgf the business growth fund at the back end of last year yep. and um that level of investment which was a, a 13 million pound investment um i think is also a testament to to why the category from a commercial point of view i mean bgf is 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 fantastic in terms of their sustainability purpose impact and what they're trying to do as as investors but ultimately 
they're there for the return of their 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 shareholders and their investors and and it isn't done unless unless they're viable businesses and profitable businesses um with with huge opportunities yes and i can see that and i think you know my we always use examples don't we of, of people that we know and my goddaughter has just had a baby and you know we're all so excited and she's the first she's the first baby to you know my friends so you know Pete and Fiona are the first kind of grandparents that are yeah. very close to our, our group and Jade um, and Sam very much wanted to you know they're, they're vegetarian but they also wanted to use reusable nappies and and actually my view and I think a lot of us was that's a very modern thing to do they feel like a very modern family you know when they got married everything about them feels very modern rather than um uh, you know, of course, they'd be like that because they're a little bit, you know, kind of, you know, knitted shoelaces. And uh, and I think it's really interesting how we are really changing that perception and that, you know, modern modern mothers, modern families are looking at doing things differently. And there is a very, you know, specific feel around the purpose of the businesses and the, and the life decisions that they're making. And I think within baby. I've always felt that we have that huge advantage because it's a market that is constantly reinventing itself and you're getting new people. Actually, that that um, the view of the products that people use and the way that you parent can be changed. Those views can be changed quite quickly. And, and you're right, it, it has changed dramatically. I mean, I remember going in the early days, one of the ways we marketed ourselves was to attend um, consumer shows, baby shows, national baby shows. And I remember those early days exhibiting there and people would come past and went, what a, what a disgust. I remember people coming and saying, what a disgusting idea. What a ridiculous idea. Look at the, and then sort of calling pregnant, pregnant mums calling, calling their parents over and saying, look, what a disgusting idea that, that this is going to wash them and keep them rather than throwing them away. That I think we're, we're much further from that now. And I think the majority of parents, the majority of parents, even if they don't choose it, now look at reusables as a as an option and certainly the majority of the parents that use bambino mia products are using a mixture of, of, of both anyway so they'll use some reusables and some and some disposables but i think you're right for, for any parent and i don't and i think it's also moving away from the fringes i mean we've always been about trying to get it in the mainstream because that's where you have the bigger impact um, and that's where you'll get the snowball effect uh, but i think most parents now that dis- at least having a discussion about reusables against disposables is happening as part of yeah. the norm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Where does the, <laughs> where does the name come from, Guy? Um, well, when we were, so we'd run the nappy service um, and um, we were actually, rep- we were we were representing a company from America that was making the products and we were selling to somebody I knew who had actually written a brochure off the sort of products we wanted to sell. This is when we wanted to get into selling as opposed to nappy service. And she'd written this brochure, selection of products that we're going to do, and called it Bambino Mio. But in conversations with her, she said, I've written this brochure, I've started this business, but I'm not really interested in sort of taking it further. She was going to move to Yorkshire and and, uh, look after horses. And we said, well, rather than throw away the 10,000 brochures that you've got, we're just about to set up a company that's going to do this. Look, why don't you close the company down? We'll take the name off you because we haven't got a name for the company. And we can then... um, continue to you've already written the brochure and that saved us a job which is so we inherited the name so Gillian who we who, who was the original person who wrote it it comes from uh, a tv film that Julie Walters did about adopting children um sort of um pre-Berlin Wall coming down from from Eastern Europe um and she was quite moved by this the film is called Bambino Mio I think you can still get it on uh, online and um and that's why she called the company that so it was it was complete fluke and I and 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 it's been wonderful. It, it's, I mean, it, it resonates with parents. It's, it's seen us. It sort of doesn't doesn't pinpoint us as a UK company when you're trying to when 80% of our business is exports. It's worked on many many levels, and it's really interesting because, yeah, we didn't pay lots and lots of money to a marketing company to sit around thinking of an appropriate name. It just it just happened. So it was it was luck, not design, but it has held us in really good stead. Yeah, that's so funny, isn't it? it? It so often happens that, yeah, something like fortuitous like that um, with my previous company, Oyster Catchers, we literally were launching in two days time. And I'd said to Peter, who was my co-founder, right, Pete, if you literally, if you can't think of a better 
name it's going to be called Jassam, which was my children's names and he was like yeah. it's a ridiculous name and I'm like well think of a better name and then you know he phoned me up in the middle of the night and he went I'm this is the name we've got to have so <laughs> it is what it is um look uh, culture is really important clearly and you've got a great sense of purpose um t- tell me a little bit about that because I find when you've got a really strong sense of purpose it kind of becomes really important to create the right culture but sometimes it almost gets in the way because you then perhaps don't always make the right decisions because you're so worried about creating the right culture how do you get that balance and and what what how does it feel to work in your business i think i think everybody who works here really does buy into into the purpose um they're here they're here because yeah, they want to make a difference. It's something more than just coming to work. And I know that's a cliche that's used by lots and lots of businesses, but it really is it, it really is true here. And um, we do have a, a very supportive culture you, and, and the sort of culture that you would you would expect um, from a company that, that has a group of people who are working towards a purpose that we're all that we are all in it together. Um, clearly, as you grow and we're I suppose we're between 80 and 100 people working at, at Bambino Mio um, and clearly as you grow you you want to make sure that that is preserved because that that is a really port, important part of our success and interestingly when we um, post investment when we had the investment in August last year um, and we sat with all the staff sort of talking about it and what it meant the one thing that came every and everybody welcomed it everybody could see the benefits of it and why it was going to help us achieve what we all wanted to achieve getting more people to use reusable nappies um i think the biggest concern that was right when i talked to people about concerns was how do we preserve that culture how do we make sure that that doesn't get changed and actually what we've done is i think when you've got when you're a smaller company and as a founder you've really got your your, your finger in every every pie you can really uh, influence that culture the skill is to make sure that it continues continues as the company grows and more people are in, more people are are involved and i think um we the, well firstly as we've developed as we've sort of defined it and and, re- and actually written it down and and actually are now um pushing it into our um our performance reviews and, and and other and other aspects of what we do that definition has come from the bottom up so this isn't about a senior team or me sitting down saying well this is what it means to work at Bambino Mio I think what is always really exciting for me and, and, and means quite a lot is that actually all these exercises are always done with a selection of people throughout the organization and it's always written down much better than I could ever write it and it really does reflect which is great and I think that's the first one I think the second thing is if you can get that I always used to worry that it obviously as we grew, we would lose some of that. But I think I always think of it in percentage terms. When we were very small, say 10 employees, if you've got a couple of employees coming in who weren't weren't um, sort of culture aligned with the culture, mm-hmm. that's 20% of your staff. And that can actually change it. Get two people in now and it's only 2% and it becomes really obvious. Yeah. Um, so it. It seems to be working. We do we do a lot of work on it. Certainly, at every opportunity, we talk about the values of, of what it means to work here, um, and to and to stress that again. Um, and um, and and it, it it seems to be strengthening, which is if if anything, which is uh, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it is, isn't it? And and your point about you know when you're small, actually, every every single person makes a disproportionate impact on the business. Um, and you know, as you have a bit more of the luxury of growth, um, you know, you talked about your performance review, and you put the kind of cultural questions in. What's the most important question that you put into performance reviews? Do you think that you maybe get the most out of when you look at the at the answers to, to it all? I think there's a lot around. I mean, coming back to what we were, what we were just talking about, really, mm-hmm. I think it is a it, it, there is a lot about sort of that come from the values. So the sort of the support that that exists within the organization i think um one thing i've learned as a as a sort of when we've been through phases of very fast growth um is that um you don't want people to sort of get left behind what i mean by that is we've had some wonderful people who've worked for us over the years but as we've as we've grown um 
so obviously some of either either the skills they have are not appropriate for the bigger business or they always like working for a smaller business and actually it's much bigger than they want it to be um and i think um one thing i'm quite proud of is we've always been fairly open about that so as things change as you need to put in it put in the big changes to get to the next level it's it's never been too much of a difficult process um and and having that those very open discussions partly through um partly through performance reviews but partly just sort of on a day-to-day basis means that those difficult discussions don't become so difficult if that makes sense because everybody knows the direction of travel everybody knows where they're going everybody's given the opportunity to um to to sort of work to that knowing knowing what is expected and um where we are going and where we're heading and in the majority of cases um people who work for us have made that choice themselves to say look i've gone as far as i can i really believe in what you're doing but i can but but maybe the next stage of that journey is is not for me and it's it's a double-edged sword as i say because and and certainly in our 25 year anniversary last week the, the one point i made when i spoke is is actually there's been been brilliant people who have worked here who have got us to this place and none of these opportunities would exist for us as an organization if those people hadn't done what they'd done in the early days when we had no budget when we when we when we sort of were living from one sale to the next mm-hmm. and actually yeah there's great things that we can do now but that is only possible because of what's gone on before yeah no uh, uh, and that's that's lovely and it's a great sign isn't it i think it is much more self-selecting i've found over the years that often particularly at that sort of startup stage you get you know youngsters that join you for maybe a couple of years and then actually the business hasn't grown quick enough for them to really go on and learn something so they leave get some new skills and then they come back yeah. and the business has grown enough to bring them back in again and um and also that you know i guess that sense of loyalty you will have seen it in your last you know in your 25 years anniversary I, we were doing a uh, a let's reset festival last thursday and i think i had about 15 people from one of my previous companies turn up during the day to watch what we were doing to be supportive um you know and and that's a that's a wonderful feeling isn't it because yeah. you know they didn't need to turn up but um you know some some of them what some of them work with us and some of them just want to be there to support so you know it's it's uh, it, it means a lot and i think it's something that as entrepreneurs and founders we appreciate and we see that perhaps you know in a more plc environment it's it's not quite the same no you're right and i think just looking at um i mean obviously there were some social posts around the uh, around the celebrations and to see the number of sort of people who have worked here making really nice comments about it is 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 really important um and and yeah, it, 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 it's great to it's great to see for, for an entrepreneur it's important, but I think it's as I say, it is really important to acknowledge and realise that um, actually it's by their hard work and what they did at certain stages through the development that, that has allowed us because certain people who are here now maybe wouldn't have been able to do what they did in the same way that maybe the people we've had to bring in now are doing jobs they couldn't do. So um, yeah, yeah, it's all part of the journey. Yeah, all part of the journey, as you say. Um, let's talk a little bit about you and Joe. So, you know, going back to that time in India where you where you went there traveling together, you're now married, run a business, have a family. How, how does that work? Um, it's interesting working um working with your with your part with your partner. Um, I mean, we often used to talk about the fact that sort of in marriage terms, because we were working together every day, as well as um, as well as sort of being at home, sort of our probably marriage was was three times the length of most people's because we were seeing each other all the all the time, um, and it worked really well in some ways because we both came at it from different skills. Joe is Joe is very creative. The products are all about the, the products are the ones that that she created and and are actually the basis and and still very much the products that she created um, over the first um, over the first 10, 15 years of the business. Um, Joe, I mean, as I said, as I said when we started, I'd, I'd always sort of had that entrepreneurial thing that I always wanted to start start my own business and sort of um, 
Joe came in to support it and then turned around sort of 15, 20 years later and was still there, was still here doing doing that. So um, Joe took a step back from the business probably about three or four years ago when it got to a, when it got to a certain size. I mean, clearly, it's not that we don't that we don't still talk about it. And she has some some input on the on the product side because they say that's that's what it what, what it came from. But I think I think it worked well. It worked well on lots of levels. It worked well because we're bringing different skills to it. Um, and my natural optimism and entrepreneurial spirit that would do everything, she certainly has, um, she certainly tames that sometimes. And I think, I think for, people talk about it, isn't it? Running a business, being an entrepreneur, it can be a, it can be a very lonely experience. And also you can start believing in your own success and, and actually, no one is going to challenge you like a partner and actually make you see, actually, are you doing this right? Is it right? Are you behaving right? I mean, there's so many aspects that there is nobody else who can challenge you in a way that a partner can challenge you. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? My second business I started with my then husband, and maybe that's a bit of a clue, but um, I actually loved working with him. But it was... Well, it ended up being impossible for us to live our lives together and work together. And I, and I so admire, well, actually, I, I admire you greatly where you, you've really built a very successful business. And then you look at, actually, how do we how do we keep this all together? How do we work? How do we play to each other's strengths? And, and sort of what you want as well. Um, and it can be very, you know, you're right. It can be very lonely um, building a business, being the boss, being the entrepreneur, because you care so much. Um, you know, we were talking earlier, Guy, about your role now and you sort of moving back more into that founder kind of role. Um, talk to me about how that feels. Why did, Why have you made that decision and, and how are you emotionally going through that? So it was a big decision to, um, to I suppose, it's linked with bringing in, in investors. I mean, BGF are a minority. Joe and I still own the majority of the business. Um, but certainly you move to another stage within the business where actually we know there's massive opportunity out there. Um, we know there is, we, but we need to scale to be able to do that. And there's certain things that we need to put in place. Um, so it wasn't as hot once we made that decision that now is the time to do that. Um, I think actually that process of moving, um, of moving more to the founder role, to move away from the operational part of the business, to bring in people who have an expertise and a passion for growing businesses very fast. Um, as an entrepreneur, you've proved that, firstly, you've been through that process of just being pleased people want to buy your products and actually proving the concept. You've then proved to a certain extent that you can scale that to build the business to a certain size and it's profitable. And I think some of us, and, and maybe for a while I fell into this, this category, you can get, it's a bit of a weird thing to say, but you, you, you almost get carried away with your own success. So you, your business is growing, it's profitable, it's doing well. But actually, are you actually fulfilling the true potential? And do you just get comfortable with saying, well, we're successful, so I don't actually need to do anything? And I think, um, I think there's a realisation that actually, yeah, we need to bring in people who are, we probably can continue to grow in this way, but actually if we're really to exploit the, the, the full opportunity for Bambino Mio, we bring in people who can, um, who are used to doing this, who've done it before, who, who understand scaling businesses. And actually to be able to then let them get on with it yeah. is, is um, quite releasing. It's quite, it, it, having done it for, for so long, 25 years, 30 years, if you count the nappy service, um, I'm surprised at how how sort of um, I'm sort of reacting to it, and it's it's about it's about finding the role as founder, and and as I alluded to earlier, the idea of being able to do more of the bigger stuff, the category stuff, more more work in the political space with NGOs, with others who are working on single use plastics. We've done we haven't talked about it, but we do we've done some work in the in the Pacific um, and in islands out there with where their, their issue with nappies and with, with single-use plastic and specifically nappies is, 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 is much greater in some ways than, than the West. Um, and 
being involved in sort of shouting about Bambino Mio and the category um, is all really important and, and stuff that I really enjoy. And that's probably where, where as, as founder, I can add, add even greater value whilst those experts concentrate on growing the business. Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know about you, but I, <laughs> when I sold Oyster Catchers to a PLC, um, you know, I, for some time, part of, of selling it was when I wanted to learn some new skills. I, I sort of thought it'll then justify what I've done and perhaps I'm not as good as you know a PLC leader or you know I don't know there was all sorts of stuff that was going through my mind and I still still don't really understand it but actually when I was in it after a period of time um, and I think it's brilliant organization I recognized in myself you know I didn't have the muscle memory of being in a PLC I didn't grow up in that I grew up in advertising and marketing I then was an entrepreneur for 15 years um I just didn't have that skill set that to them is effortless and to me felt odd and difficult whereas equally for and it feels like this is right with you as well the entrepreneurial kind of you know, having a bigger purpose uh, being really obsessed about stuff that maybe other people aren't quite so obsessed about making stuff happen making things grow from almost nothing is a skill set that perhaps they find a bit more difficult yeah. And taking that step back, so it was it was really hard. You know, once we'd structured and restructured and made the business work, for me to then take on that role of chair of, uh, you know, of, of oysters, but also a, a group role in Exium, I initially felt really flat. I thought it's what I wanted, and now I still am involved. I absolutely love it, and it's been, I think, probably the best use of me. It's allowed me to do let's reset, which is you know, very important to me. Um, and I feel very happy in the workplace. And I kind of know what I'm good at. And I know the difference that I can make. Um, and I'm still sort of growing and evolving in that. But that that's taken a bit of time and quite a lot of self reflection to get to that place. Um, and I wonder if that's the same with you. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a certain amount of trust that has to go on at that point or that's what that's how I feel I'm going through it that you're almost sort of you're throwing your you're after 30 years or 25 years you're throwing yourself off a cliff and you're just trusting that uh, when you get to the bottom somebody's going to catch you and I think um, I'm very lucky in that um, and I think this has been um, this has really helped me um, that I have um, that I'm lucky enough to have a very good chair that we appointed hosts who I didn't know previously before um before the before the 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 investment um who's done all this before who has done this many times um before um has been has rolled his sleeves up and really really got involved and actually we're very aligned in what we're in what we're saying and sort of not only is he helping the business but he's helping me and i think if you've got that if you're lucky enough to find that i'm guessing I mean, i've never been through it before so i can't speak for others mm-hmm. But um, I know I've spoken to others who have been through it where the chair piece hasn't worked for them. And that tends to be at the centre of sort of some of the issues that they've had. But uh, certainly for me, um, that I think that has been a big element in being able to just say, right, I've got to, you can't, um, you've got to let the team get on with it and almost make some of the mistakes where you could easily say, well, you don't do it like that. You don't do it like that. You don't do that. Because unless actually they go through that process, it may be a that it's not a mistake. It's me seeing it as a mistake, mm-hmm. or even if it is, that learning and then what that leads to. We've always had a culture here of um, we. I'm not worried about making mistakes as long as we make, make the learning for it. As a grown business, you're always gonna you're always gonna things are gonna go wrong because processes and systems and people are gonna be wrong as you grow. And it's only by exposing that through through things that go wrong does it. Um, do you improve and develop? So I think that's all part of the same process. So, <coughs> excuse me, being being able to to let go and, and let it happen and sort of um, throw everything up in the air and when it lands, feeling that it will probably be all right is 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 really important for both sides, not just for me, but for for everybody yeah. on the other side as well. Yeah, I can. It's not going to work. No, I completely agree. And you know, and I look on at them and I think, gosh, one, I, I, I utterly agree. The chief exec of Centaur the previous one and the one now, Swag Mukherjee is extraordinary, unbelievably supportive, has enabled it to happen. And I admire the team there so much. And a lot of them are very, you know, they've been in a kind of much more corporate media 
environment and they're awesome and I look at them and go gosh look that's how our business could grow how what a wonderful learning what a amazing way to bring people together in a, in a different and use what we had um as part of it but you know build and grow and um as you say develop and make a really big difference so yeah it, it's it's great to watch it's great yeah. to watch um, I want to talk a little bit more, you know, you said now, uh, particularly going more back to your founder role, government influence, we talked a little bit about the, the purpose and sustainability. Um, you know, this is such a big question, but in, a, in just a, you know, a sort of few minutes, what, what should we be doing to look at the green issue? What's the role of government versus what the role of a business is? I think the way to tackle most of the issues um, that the world is facing in this area is is going to come through business i don't think i mean i think you can put every government and ngo in a room charity in a room but they're not going to sort out the problem it's it's business that is going to sort out that are going to sort out the issues that we have i think governments certainly have a role in in helping to facilitate that and recognizing that but but ultimately it's it's business that is going to um, that is going to sort these sort these problems. And I think one thing I've realised in the last couple of years, um, as I said earlier, we've been lucky enough to win 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 a few awards as a business. And you now when you go to these award ceremonies, it is incredible that the majority of winners are now businesses that are associated with addressing a lot of the issues that we're talking about. And I think that's really encouraging because I think the businesses you see winning these awards now because they're growing very fast or doing something very special is um, they, they are the businesses that are going to be the bigger businesses of, of, of the future. And I think um, when when we went through the, the investment process, um, we, we had a huge number of options on the table in terms of in terms of um, potential investors in our in our business. And some of those were, when it came down to the last few, I suppose, some of those were purely impact investors. So they will only invest in companies that are already sort of doing the right thing. But then there were others, and, and BGF was one of these, who have a real, there's an integrity to their intent to move the dial. And they're not perfect. They will admit their portfolio is not perfect. But actually being part of an organization that wants to move some, help move some of those organizations as opposed to investors who are just dealing with the converted. I think what was exciting for us and why we ultimately chose um, BGF is, is to say their ambition to work with all their portfolio companies to really help them move the dial and, and change perception with companies because actually abandoning those organizations, they'll go and find some other investor who may not be interested in, in helping on that journey. But it is a journey. Um, so I suppose who is I think everybody's responsible, but I think it is going to come from businesses. And actually, having been through the, the investment process in the last in the last 18 months, it's clear that that investors can have a real influence on that as well. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And and I love your focus and idea around evolving together not thinking you've you've kind of gone the whole way and actually you know I sit on the board of a, of a newish business coming together called Unbound which started with Hotter Shoes and has come out of a private equity fund and actually the chief exec <laughs> Ian Watson um, is obsessed with sustainability you know it's very important in their market um, you know we have proper conversations at board level around what they're doing it's it's a fundamental part of the business and it will and it will allow the business to grow and as they're looking at you know the partners and the acquisitions that they're making it's a kill is a key foundation and it's not just a you know an add-on you know there, there are a number of companies that obviously we work in in the space around well-being linking to performance and kind of you know sustainable use of look of people in organizations and there's lots of tick boxes still and then there are few companies, few organizations that are taking it beyond that and actually saying, do you know what? We can go further. We know where to go, but we don't know how we're going to get there. And we'll continue to make some mistakes on the way. Then I think the important thing, and we've been through this, is actually realizing as an organization where you're making an impact. You can't do everything. Yeah. By, you, you need, 
yeah, good practice across across the whole the whole plane is important, of course. Reducing the amount of carbon, um, proper um, employment practices, but actually you've got to work out where the sweet spot is. And certainly for us, we know where that is. That's about reducing the amount of nappies that are going to to landfill, and actually. Focusing on that as the impact and making sure that everything we're doing is to support that whilst following good practice. I mean, we've we've um, we've just been through the B Corp process um, mm -hmm. and we're waiting, waiting for assessment. And we never sort of went in for that originally to necessarily get the badge. Mm -hmm. But what it gave us was a framework to uh, mark ourselves against. And actually, it did mean that we looked at certain things we'd never looked at before um, to be a responsible business. But certainly you don't do everything. And there were certain aspects of B Corp which we thought that's not appropriate for us because we are doing this. But I think the important thing is not to think that you need to try and be perfect on everything. And it is about direction of travel. I mean, I was talking about the fact I mean, we're not, even though we're sustainable business, we are not perfect just by existing. We're having an environmental impact. But I think with everything, it's about a direction of travel. If you can improve on everything, that's great. But I think it is really important to make sure that you're not, where we will have the biggest impact is the two billion nappies that we haven't sent to landfill and making sure that that number increases. Um, actually, that and we shouldn't be diverted from that because we're we're actually trying to improve something where we will have less impact. That doesn't yeah. mean we don't want to make it better, but actually our our um, impact is about reduction of reduction of waste. Yeah, and it is that. And, and I, you know, I've interviewed a number of people who have put in or are part of B Corp um, on these podcasts. And I'm thinking about Anu from Pucker Herbs in particular. And she was at Ben and Jerry's before and is now there. And um, you know, she talked very much about using that as a framework. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a very it's very helpful if you're trying to build businesses and go forward to have proper robust frameworks that make you look at things differently that measure some output measure some outcome rather than just having a you know some sort of spurious number that everyone's kind of working towards that actually doesn't really mean anything yeah, yeah. um so i think guy look we're, we're almost out of time what what bit of advice would you give to founders to businesses to people who are running organizations where you know a, a bigger purpose and particularly around sort of sustainability is core to what they do what what big, a bit of advice would you give them i think it's obvious in some ways never lose sight of that um or the power of that um and it is documented it is documented now with lots and lots of evidence to suggest that um Businesses that that have a real focus on purpose and just mentioning back to B Corp, of course, purpose before profit is something that goes into the the articles of companies that are B Corps. And actually having that focus and believing in that as well and making sure those that you're working with um, believe that as well is is really important. The benefits in terms of making you a successful organization will come from that. And I think. Um, yeah, making sure you understand what that what that purpose is, um, and and communicating that and living it, really living it, um, is really important. I mean, that just sounds like a load of cliches I've just thrown out. It's not meant to be. It is. It, it, it's true. And I think I think the other wider thing. I mean, of course, after twenty five years, there's loads of stuff that you that you learn um, as a as a business as as an entrepreneur. I mean, everything from sort of trusting your gut instinct um, to, to, to many things. I think I think one of the big things is the that I learned is actually it is always the most challenging times, the most difficult times where actually the business has moved on on its on the most. And I think most entrepreneurs you talk to will admit that. But if I think back over the years to, to some of the most challenging times, the times when I've sat at my desk thinking, I just don't know how we're going to get through this. You do get through it. And actually what comes out the other side is a much stronger business and probably a much stronger person. Yeah, you know, we, we haven't really talked so much about that, but you're so right. Those moments when you really have to reset uh, because, you know, it's all gone wrong or it's not going the way you think or, or, or you've just got that kind of growth piece is, 
is so important. Um, and I think for you, Guy, just then finally, you, know, you are, again, at this sort of a, a reset for the business to grow onto its next level, for you personally to take on a slightly different role. What are you doing for yourself? What are you doing to enable you to be as resilient, as strong, as happy and fulfilled um, to be able to get to this purpose that you've got? I think it's I mean, it comes back to, to what we were talking about about earlier. I think it, it's really important to make sure I mean, investment was a big decision. And, and no, that was probably the biggest the biggest sort of life changing decision in terms of that could have been it could have been wrong for us. It could have been not the time to do it. But I, I know as every day goes past, that is right for the business. And I think um, sort of trusting those around you and allowing it to and and I think in my head I mean a, a lot of people use that expression it must be it, it have said to me it must be really it, it's really tough to move from 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 sort of running it day to day to being the founder I have to honestly say I don't find it tough from that point of view because actually we made the decision it is the right decision there are loads of opportunities there are people in here there was so much I suppose one of the things you realize as an entrepreneur, or I certainly did, um, as these as everybody comes in, is there's a lot in your head. There's a lot that you are driving, which actually, if you're to scale your business, if you're to, to, to take the maximum opportunity, there needs to be a process for that. It, it can't you, you can't you can't scale a business based on sort of things that are in one person's head. So um, I think I think the idea that 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 we've created this this great business. And actually, I think there can't be a bigger testament than actually it, it, it sort of becoming its own its own entity. I mean, it always was its own entity, but actually less associated with you. So it can go on and really, really achieve everything that you always wanted it to. So um, I think it's a really I think it is a really exciting time. As, as I said, we're still I'm just still making that that complete formal change to the founder to the founder role and being being because there's still bits of my experience that, that are being used and pre presumably there will be bits as we go forward but I only see it as a as an exciting and a positive I think and probably that comes back to being for and everything so much comes back to this idea of understanding your purpose because if our purpose is to get as many people to use reusable nappies um, and to get to get those out there then then having this opportunity to bring in people who can actually really scale that for you. I don't think you could want more, really. No, I agree. I agree. And it's, you know, it's, it's a lovely story to hear. I think, uh, you know, I'd love to come back in a few years time and, and talk about how it's gone. Um, yeah. But uh, thank you for sharing the story. Thank you for being so open about some of the challenges that you've had, the resets you've made. Um, and I wish you every, every success. Thank you very much, Guy. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.